1: Uh, This is the podcast where we chat to an author all about their working day to try and get some tips, some tricks and a sliver of their scheduling success to help out our own day, really. Now, today we're talking to the all-rounder Cass Green. She made her name writing young adult books uh, and she's just finished her second full-blown adult thriller called In a Cottage in a Wood. Now, we chat about why she loves working in the British Library, why her planning seems to change each time she sits down to write and also why a book by a guy called John York completely changed the way she writes forever. It's
2: called Into the Woods, a five-act journey into story and it's the most fantastically nerdy book for people who are obsessed with storytelling. And he really goes into detail about having a sort of five act structure rather than three and that really did help for me to start thinking of my story in that sort
1: of shape there's more on that in a bit so stay there it's on the way on this week's writer's routine brilliant yes hello my name is dan simpson thank you so much for giving writer's routine a listen and if this is the first time that you've listened by the way and switched us on well done amazing job you've finally found us and check this you've got a nice juicy haul of around 23 ish i think maybe episodes that you can binge through on your favorite podcast place to keep you going and if that podcast place is itunes by the way and you like what you hear on the show please do leave us a review it's so simple Uh, just open up itunes write some nice words on there about us let us know what you think five stars is always helpful for the chart as well that would be brilliant. And if that favourite podcast place is iTunes, but you don't like what you hear, well, lie for us. Why don't you? I mean, it's a podcast about books. It's hardly the most harmful thing in the world. It's very informative, quite useful. So at least your lying is going to a good cause. Now, we'll have one writing tip that might change the way you work forever, all about uh, getting down your emotionally led stories in just a bit. First, let's get on with it then and chat to today's guest. It's Cass Green. And now as an author, she's an all rounder. She's published eight YA, that's young adult books, all under the name Caroline Green, on everything, kind of, from the world cracking under your feet to mysterious homeless boys from Croatia. A little bit of all sorts in there. Uh, She's also the writer in residence at the East Barnet School. Uh, She teaches writing for children as well at City University. She's been a journalist, writing all over the broadsheets and glossy mags. So she knows her words. She knows her stories. And she knows how to tell them, to put them both together, to make quite a compelling read. Now, we sat down last month after she'd had a furious day working in her favourite writing place in the whole world. You'll hear more about where that is and why you can't take photos in there in just a sec. And we talked about all sorts, really, in terms of storytelling. You'll hear why she's annoyed that her planning style changes from book to book. Also, how she gets to know some of her characters much better than others, And we start, as always, with what she sees around her, where she sits down to write.
2: Well, that's really easy, because I've just come from there. It's the humanities room of the British Library, the reading room. um, And you're not allowed to take any photos in there, I've discovered. But it's a beautiful, serene place with big, comfortable seats, lovely desk, wonderful overhead light. um, Very quiet and peaceful well, I listen to music when I'm in there on earbuds but um and it's just a place of real kind of tranquility it's it's a real it's my real writing sort of favorite space and do you always write there no I, I what well, you know domestic duties and also other work duties mean that I can't always get there but if I'm going to have a real writing day that's where I tend to go is, is that
1: trial and error how have you how, have you written in other places but you just found this to be the best how did you come across the british library
2: yeah it's um i I, if i absolutely have to write at home i can but i can just never get very much done i'm just i'm so easily distracted at home and i sometimes go to other libraries i go to my local library go to cafes but really that's the place where i feel i almost have a sort of pavlovian response to going in there it's like right this is where i have to work
1: (laughs) so the show is is writer's routine that's what we do. So tell me about yours from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a usual day in which you're writing.
2: Okay, so if it's a writing day, I will get up, I will probably take my son to school. Um I'll come back, leave some money for the dog walker, head off into town. I live in North London, so it's quite it's, it's pretty convenient to get to the British Library for me. I'll have a quick cup of coffee and then I'll get myself in there and I'll probably have a goal of a certain number of words. And on a really good day, the best day I've ever had, I got 4,000 words done. But that was never really happened very often. Um, Today, I only managed 2,500. But um, I wanted to do 1,500 before lunch. And so I set myself a goal of a number of words I need to do before I let myself leave. um, And that usually works for me quite well. I would probably finish about sort of half past four five o'clock and then I would make my way home check that everything is uploaded into Dropbox when I get back um, and then you know hope that it won't be too long before I can get back and have another day there. Do
1: you have any review of your work part of the day is is there any moment where you're you're forcefully percolating ideas or are you just letting it all come out?
2: Yeah I, I tend to do that on on different days so if I if I know that I've got I've got a really big problem that I need to solve plot-wise. I probably wouldn't go to the library that day. I'd probably stay at home, do a lot of pacing around, making notes in different formats. There's just anything to kind of get the idea out so I can see it and I can work out what the problem is. I like to know that I'm going to be able to produce a certain number of words if I go to the library. Because it's, you know, it's a faff, you know, (laughs) it involves having to, you know, make an effort to go there. So if I'm having to do sort of making notes and plotting, I tend to do that at home. Or, or, in a cafe, I find cafes and trains are very good for that as well.
1: So what's the standard method then of plotting? say you are at home and you're you're kind of letting the ideas fested, but you said there that you did need to kind of force some things mm-hmm. out. Um, what do you do? What's your methods f- for making sure that there is something kind of going on in there?
2: Yeah, well, I try i tr- I try to write a synopsis from the beginning, uh, a very rough synopsis, and I'll sort of um I have this very sort of rough old thing that's not, it's only sort of partly done. And then I'll keep going back to it and adding scenes on. I also, I try and do post-it note plotting sometimes where I'll make it, I'll get a few big sheets of paper. I don't have a big enough office to have a nice big board that you're supposed to use. So I'll just get some big sheets of A3 paper um, and maybe have like five acts and then try and just brainstorm some ideas and then start putting down the post-it notes where I think those scenes might go. The, the thing I've, this is now, well, how many books have I written? I've I've had uh, six books published. I've got another one coming out in in September. And I've written books that haven't been published. So I've probably written 10 books, I would say. And the thing that I've realised, which is a, a bit dispiriting in some ways, is that once, as soon as I think I absolutely have a method for something... The next time, it's not exactly the same. And it's been quite liberating to realise that, that it's a creative process is quite a messy thing, I think.
1: So talk to me about the standard method then. So uh, how many books were you deep into the 10 that you think you've written when you kind of guessed maybe there is a way, there is a cast green way of doing this?
2: Well, with um, In a Cottage in a Wood, which is the one that's out at the moment, I really felt like I'd cracked it there because the post-it note method worked brilliantly. I really felt that was the way I was now going to do it forevermore. Then the the next one, I couldn't quite get that to work. And quite a lot of it is is accepting that it's uncomfortable. There's something really pleasing about stationery. I think most writers love stationery and sitting and, and thinking, right, I'm going to solve this problem with all this lovely stationery. And I think sometimes I'm trying to get away from the fact that part of the plotting process is a kind of vaguely uncomfortable thinking that's hard work and you can't do anything about that you have to kind of let it come you have to let the ideas kind of mulch down in your mind and um, so writing lots of notes for me is the way to do it literally asking myself a question you know why does he do this I don't know why he does this and then having a sort of stream of consciousness until I can get to some sort of an answer.
1: It's interesting that you say all writers love stationery (laughs) when I don't think I've chatted to any writer for the show that actually writes pen to paper properly.
2: No, well, oh, I bet you'll find a lot do notes that way, though, uh, because everybody loves notebooks. All the writers I know love notebooks. Um, And I, I think probably even... I mean, I'm pretty wedded to a computer as well. I could never write something by hand. I think it was Anthony Horowitz who wrote on your show I think he said he wrote everything by hand oh
1: yeah oh sorry yes he, he's he, amazing he, what did he say he has
2: a different pen for a different yeah because that gosh. was
1: interesting because he was very insistent that he didn't have any method of doing this any rule but <laughs> then he was very particular that he had a different pen uh, yes. for every different book <laughs> yeah. I thought I've caught you out there Anthony um,
2: <laughs> the thing that really changed all that for me was reading um the John York book Into the Woods uh, it's called Into the Woods, a five-act journey into story. And it's the most fantastically nerdy book for people who are obsessed with storytelling. And he really t- goes into detail about having a sort of five-act structure rather than three. And that really did help for me to start thinking of my story in that sh- sort of shape, I guess.
1: Why? What changed? What, what What's an extra two acts giving you?
2: Well, I think what it is, is because if you think in three acts, the middle one is so hefty and so much has to happen in it that it actually needs to be broken up. And it also takes away from the fact that you need to have a midpoint. And that was another bit of a breakthrough for me, was discovering this whole midpoint thing where something changes, bang, in the middle of the story. And if you analyse just about any film that really works there is a midpoint moment. We actually do this at home now, which drives my family mad. (laughs) I'm constantly stopping films when we're watching them to see if we're at the midpoint.
1: (laughs) This is is where things are changing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's usually some kind of big change. It might be drama. It might be that the character realises something about themselves. And it might be that at that point they're further away from reaching their goal than they've ever been before. So it's a really important point in the book. And with three acts, it sort of gets lost a little bit, I think.
1: So this is interesting. Um, With the three acts, you you tend to think them being labelled as set-up, all the heavy lifting, and then conclusion. How would you break up all those five acts for a standard Cass Green story into labels?
2: Okay, so I suppose you'd have... Gosh, you'd have... Act one would be setting the scene, I guess. Where are we? Who are the people that we're going to be with for this story? Um, And then this at the end of that, you'd have your inciting incidents or something, you know, something's happened, something important's happened or changed things. Uh, The second one is all about starting to build up the mystery and the tension. I would say getting towards the third act, which really is the midpoint, the third act. The fourth act has been called falling action, but I think that's really confuses people because it sounds as though everything goes very quiet and it's quite the opposite to that. More and more and more events are happening, um, turning points in the plot, the stakes are higher than they've ever been before, big conclusion, resolution at the end. So that's probably going to sound rubbish when I hear it back <laughs> on this podcast, but I think that's broadly how I would go about doing it and of course it it, it, what works for one person doesn't always necessarily work for someone else I wouldn't say this was gospel I used to write YA novels and I decided I wanted to have a change I wanted to do something different and I was um I was I was having a swim actually my son was having a lesson and I was swimming in this free lane and I decided that I was going to take some time to have a go at writing an adult thriller because I was reading a lot of fiction like that and I always want to write the things I'm reading most I had this mental picture of this very lonely woman watching somebody else's shopping delivery arriving in a far too interested way and really being invested in this delivery. And this character, Hester, who's really quite a sinister person, she just kind of grew in my mind. She just... I don't know where on earth she came from, but she just started to take shape.
1: And then what are you doing next with it? So you've got this character, you've yeah. got the, the the first idea that someone's looking at the shopping in a very sinister mm, way. Mm. How are you moving this on now before, before you're putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard uh, when you're writing the famous notes?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How are you doing that? How are you moving that idea into something more substantial?
2: Right. So what I wanted was for her interest to be in somebody who very much didn't want to have a spotlight shone on her. And I like the idea of these two women that had nothing in common other than the fact that both of them have got quite dark secrets that the other doesn't know. And Hester is a sort of bit of a busybody. Her neighbour next door is a bit of a glamorous, yummy mummy called Melissa. And in the past, Hester had been quite helpful when um, Melissa's child was young, but she was a bit too much and she tried to distance herself a little bit from Hester because she was a little bit too interfering. And Hester sees a way to sort of inveigle herself back into Melissa's life. And then a crime occurs that she helps her to cover up so she becomes indebted, and this very toxic kind of dependence occurs that leads to dramatic events
1: <laughs> so how did that come about so you've got so yeah. you've got this 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 plot which is fairly thorough mm. by this time um does that come as the result of c- furious brainstorming is any of it forced to come through you think right i've got this good character i've got a nice opening elevator pitch mm. now i need to move this on to i don't know 90, words or yeah, whatever. yeah well i knew
2: there was i knew there was going to be there was a murder well there was a death very early on and this was the thing that was going to link these two women so all that, that came quite easily once I knew that had to happen. Quite a lot of thought then had to go into what are they going to do next. I sat down and I endlessly made notes. And I have discussions with writer friends too. There's a couple of people that I sort of always run ideas by. And I had to keep saying to myself, well, what am I trying, what, where does she want to end up? What do I want to happen for these two characters? And in the John York book, I read something which is really was very useful for that book, which was to think about the fact that sometimes you always you know this thing about characters and you're having goals, and that's part of storytelling. Sometimes, if you have it that the character gets the thing that they need at the end, but they didn't realise they needed, and not the thing that they want, that can make for a really interesting ending. And that's what I very I set out to do that in this book because I thought even if the things that happened to these two women were quite difficult. Maybe they would end up in a better a better place despite all the horrible things they'd been through. And that was a very useful guide as well for helping me reach the end.
1: We've got more from Cass Green in a little bit. And stay there because next I've got one tip from a top author that could change the way you write forever.
2: Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com.
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Now, very quickly, before we talk all about emotionally led writing and why that's one of the most important things that you can do, putting your pen to paper. uh, Remember, there are so many ways that you can keep up with and keep across and keep in touch with uh, the show, There's the Twitter, as always, that is at WritersPod, which is probably the best place to get in touch with the show if you want a nice, speedy tweet back. In fact, if there was an award in my school yearbook uh, for the speediest tweeter, I won't lie, I probably would have won it. Which makes you wonder, doesn't it? I bet they have got that award right now uh, being handed out in proms up and down the country for speediest tweeter. Damn these millennials. Uh, Also, moving on, uh, we're on Instagram. You can follow us there for nice, glossy, well-photoshopped, beautifully fonted and filtered photos. And it's also the best place to get teaser videos from all of our shows too. It is at WritersRoutine there. And there's the website too, where you can find every single episode that we've done. You can also get in touch with the show on there. uh, And you can find all the different ways to download the podcast. That is WritersRoutine.com. A few weeks ago on the show, we started something that I think, you know, it's going down quite well because it's a chance for you to get some top, nice, concise advice from the mouth of an actual writer. One that's been there, one that's done it and one that no doubt bought a dead expensive T-shirt with all the royalties. It's simple. It's one tip that could change the way you write forever. And today we turn to Helen Fields. The third book, Perfect Death, has just been published in her D.I. Kalanick series. They're enormous bestsellers. So this tip about keeping your emotions on the go at all times is a real treat.
2: Hi, I'm Helen Fields. I write the D.I. Kalanick
1: series. And my writing tip is this make sure that you're writing from an emotional viewpoint. So think of when you're writing your worst day or your best day or your funniest day, grab those emotions. And it doesn't matter if they're positive or negative, but if you're going to be writing, write with that emotion in your guts before you start, because what you're going to find is that you can plough that emotions and that sort of passion into whatever scene you're writing. Now, if you want more of Helen, have a listen to episode 22 of the show, uh, where you can get a full-blown 30-minute chat with her with loads more snippets of help just like that. Well, actually, they're not even snippets, you know. They're big, fat, juicy, meaty hocks of help. There we go. Download it. It's Helen Fields on episode 22 of Writer's Routine. Right then, let's get back into our chat with today's author, Cass Green. She's just published her second thriller for adults. It's called In a Cottage in a Wood. In the second half of the show, we learn what's changed and what she's learned between her writing her first book to her tenth ish, or whatever book she's published now. There's quite a lot of them. Also, we chat about how she gets into the right frame of mind to make an 11 year old believe in what she's writing as a young adult author. And we pick things up talking about her first novel, The Woman Next Door, and about how she got to know the lead character, Hester, well enough to tell her story
2: writing them actually just really sitting down and 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 sort of writing a chapter first of all i i i think i tried to make it first person and strangely enough that didn't work for her so once i changed it to third person and i had a, it was close third person but it was just a slightly further drawn back kind of camera in a funny way, that liberated me and I could see her more clearly. Is You can't always predict how these things go, but that seemed to be the case. So I just wrote my way through until I started to get to really know who she was.
1: Why do you think the th- the first person didn't work? That's interesting as someone that's a, n- a non-writer to think that the the, the, the the viewpoint you're writing your characters from stops you from finding them out fully.
2: Mm, yeah, you've. I think with that, that's something you've absolutely got to experiment with because you think that you're on a certain path sometimes and by changing the point of view it can it can solve the problems that you didn't really know you had with my next book that's coming out this year I'd written 30,000 words and I changed the viewpoint and that was really painful I literally just spent a whole week bashing that out because I'd written it in third person this time and I just couldn't get close enough into this character's head and it was really odd it was the opposite way around so it doesn't really always go in the way that you would expect it's a funny thing it really is it's very difficult to pin down but you have to experiment and sometimes that leads you into finding the right voice for that particular character
1: we've spoken on this show before um plotters versus pantsiers i think i always get it Pansers. Wrong. pantsers <laughs> some, some people say pantsers some people say panties and i always get it wrong um <laughs> Was, would you say you're a plotter I know we spoke yeah. at the start that you are very much a plotter yes do you think you could write a book as while being a pantser
2: no I really don't think I could I think the, f- the very first thing that I ever wrote which didn't get anywhere I wrote in that way and it was just a load of rubbish So <laughs> I think I get into difficulties when I don't have a road map a very clear road map of where I'm going I think that's very important for me and also I'm not somebody I'm not an overwriter either you, you, there's another expression which is hackers or adders and that's when you reach the end of the first draft and the hackers are the people that overwrite um, and the adders are people like me who just haven't got enough and it's all really thin and there's no description and you have to go back and add in a tonne of detail. Um, so I'm not somebody that overwrites. So I, I find the idea of just sitting down and not knowing what I'm going to write kind of gives me palpitations.
1: <laughs> Talk to me about that roadmap then. So say you, you're sitting down to write your newest book. mm how do you know what's in each scene? So, 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 what's there? What are you looking at? Is it it's a post-it note? Is is it a post-it note full of bullet points? Is is it a bit more thorough? Do you know exactly what's hitting all the plot points?
2: No, I'm really envious of people that can do that routinely. I've um this time I started off by writing a synopsis, trying to write a synopsis, felt that it was uh, really just didn't have enough going on in it, and really just spent so much time asking myself certain questions and whether it was walking the dog, you know, thinking about it or worrying about it in the middle of the night or just sitting with my notebook in a, in a cafe um, and just really trying to unpick certain bits of the plot that I knew weren't strong enough. And I'm still finding my way. I mean, I've written, I've only written less than 20,000 words at the moment, but I'm starting to find my way. And when I say roadmap, I mean, sometimes you kind of know where you're headed but you don't exactly know the the exact road that's going to get you there but you know you want to reach this point
1: so still using the road map metaphor what happens if the characters the passengers in the car with you suddenly want to swerve off to a separate direction to a separate destination
2: well um if that happens that can be quite a good thing if it because it Sometimes, if you get an idea like that and it feels exciting to think of it, that's often a fairly good sign that it's going to be a, a good, strong idea. Um, and so, yes, that has definitely happened. Where I've gone into in a slightly different direction. In fact, this book. In fact, I've already given up on one story recently. I hadn't got. I really hadn't started writing it. But I had an idea that I thought was a strong idea. But I just couldn't. I just didn't fall in love with it at all. I couldn't really sort of seem to pin it down. Um, So I took one of the characters from that, who I liked, and I put this character in a completely different situation. (laughs) I think I I, I realised that I needed to spend a bit longer over the ending. I think I I was in a tremendous rush. I'm always in a rush to get to the next exciting thing in the plot. I think I've got a little bit of a tendency to rush my endings, and I did try not to do that with the second book. I think that was something that I learned from the first one. But that was actually the fifth book that I'd written. So it wasn't, it wasn't as though it was my actual debut. So I had written some more, bef- you know, I'd, I'd been writing for a while by then. But you learn something new every time, I think.
1: So, well, talk to me more about what you've learned then, because uh, you, you have published books under a separate pen name. Uh, YA books. So these are for what's what's the actual definition of, of of YA? What's the age range that you try and hit?
2: Well, I think I mean my books really were marketed at anybody from sort of sort of 10 to 14 really would would read them. But um so the sort of younger end really, younger end of YA. But yes, re- technically YA just I think just means sort of teen. So anywhere from sort of 12 until the age when you start reading you know adult books. Now
1: what I find fascinating about an author who, who has written across uh, age ranges like you have is finding the voice that's going to relate to the audience who read it. Because I'm guessing when you were writing for 10 to 14 year olds, you weren't 10 to 14 yourself. <laughs> no. So how, how did you get yourself into the mind of your audience, of the listeners who would be reading this and making sure the story was relatable to them?
2: Yeah, well, I think I, I think I am quite immature. <laughs> I'm sure my family and friends would say the same thing. I think I genuinely, I think there's a part of me that doesn't really feel as though I'm a proper grown-up yet, even though, to all, you know, all the evidence is pointing to the fact that I actually am. Um, yeah, I think I've got a fairly young sort of attitude, which is not necessarily a good thing, but in, in terms of my outlook on, on the world, I think. Um, but again, it's just, you know, once you start to inhabit that character's mind... it it sort of starts to come more easily and I've got children I was I've sort of learned things from watching them and their friends and the way that they talked um and I work in schools now I'm I do a lot of work in school so I'm with young people all the time and I find being around young people is great you know because they're they're tremendous fun so I think just making sure that you're you're not being patronizing that's really important as well when you're writing for young people don't have that sort of voice that sounds as though it's an adult trying to sort of talk down to a young person because they'll see right through that straight away Um, and just I think trying to have a kind of fast-moving plot and I really do think that was it was writing for the YA market that helped me to write for write adult thrillers. With the first book I did go with the concept of the unreliable narrator which some people are starting to say has been really overdone. But even a couple of years ago, it didn't feel as though it had been overdone then. Um, It still felt quite fresh and new to me. Um, And personally, I'm a sucker for an unreliable narrator, I would still pick up a book with that particular sort of mechanism for telling the story, because I just like it. Um, But yeah, I have, I read something recently that was a bit critical of that and saying, oh, it's time to stop these books with the same kind of themes. Um, So yeah, I just think it's really important that you, you know, you make yourself aware of what's out there, what's What's popular what people are really enjoying reading and what you enjoy reading yourself that's crucial that's a really crucial part of it
1: so you say you've penned probably about 10 books
2: yeah probably
1: <laughs> um, what have you learned along the way that makes about the way you write are there any idiosyncrasies any little tricks and tips that make your writer's routine completely unique to you something that perhaps other people don't do but help the creativity and the words flow better for cast
2: I don't know if there's anything unique that I that I do. I think I've reached a point now where I know that when I have that complete panic that I can't possibly write another word. And I have this fear that I have no more stories in me. But actually, that's part of my process is to panic and have a sort of moment of, I can't do this. And, and to hit certain milestones when I'm writing and to feel a certain way. And I think recognising that there are patterns to that is tremendously useful because, you know, I have I think, oh, yeah, that happened last time and that, that turned out okay. And that, for me, that's been very useful. Experience, that's the only way that can come, I think.
1: I'm going to ask you to be quite analytical one last time and I'll refer to you in the third person if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think a Cass Green story is?
2: I would, what I would want people to feel about my, my writing is I would want them to feel as though they're a, very character-led stories that there's usually a, they usually centre around a crime to some extent, but they're not whodunits. They're more of a sort of why done it or how did this happen. Um, so the sort of psychology of the characters, how certain things, certain terrible events can shape the way people behave. That's one of the things I'm fascinated by, um, and also I'm really interested in the idea of ordinary people being thrown into extraordinary and very difficult scenarios. Also the whole idea of like the moral compass, like where people's moral compass is pointing and how people can behave in the way that you just don't expect them to. And that's one of the themes that I think I come back to again and again.
1: That is it then for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Cass Green for prizing herself away from the desk you're not allowed to photograph in the British Library to have a chat with me all about her working day. Now, you can find links to all of her stuff on the website. That is writersroutine.com. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. And if you enjoyed the show, I can't say enough. Please do find us on the iTunes podcast store and leave us a review. Five stars really helps. I'm going to leave it at that. Now, next week, we're chatting to a psychological thriller, Debutant, who has also written many celebrities' books for them. So we'll have a little chat about how he gets into the mind uh, of some famous people, but he can't let anyone know who he is. That's with Michael Ford next week on Writer's Routine.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.